How's everybody doing? I, uh, I had the opportunity to help feed some of y'all's steers yesterday, um, and I passed on it. <laughs> Uncle Randy, he was having trouble, and steers weren't acting right, and Aunt Darla's talking to us, and he said, and I quote, I could use a little help over here, and I'm like, I gotta work tomorrow. <laughs> Glad you guys are here on a weekend when Jesus is at the lake. <laughs> if I had the chance, and I know, I know time restraints and logistics and all that, but if I had the opportunity to sit down and, and visit with everybody here individually and I said, you know, give me, your, give me your five-year plan. Like, walk me through it. Where do you hope that you'll be in five years? I can't say exactly what yours would be, and I wouldn't even suggest that I could guess. But I can assume that it would travel through areas of finances. You know, maybe you want to pay something off. Maybe you want to save something up. Um, maybe there's, there's like financial goals that you would have and you'd say maybe like in five years, this is where I want to be. Maybe it would be relational goals. Um, you know, people that you want to be better about being around. I, I will tell you that one of my goals for the next five years is I want to be healthier on the inside and on the outside. That's, that's one of my goals. It's borrowed from a man named Wade Jess. He said it and I'm like, man, that's a good goal. I'm just going to use yours. Um, it might be in your walk with God. It might, there might be a lot of things that we talk about um, relationally. It might be in your career. It might be you say, hey, you know, I, I want to make some changes. I don't really know how, but I hopefully, you know, I can solve that in the next five years, something like that. Here's what, I, here's what I would imagine. I would imagine that what would be lacking, let me tell you what I think would be missing, is I don't think that very many of us would say, I really am praying that God will bring me through a season of unimaginable loss or gut-wrenching suffering. You're thinking like, Jordan, this seems like an obvious, I know, I know. It's not something we talk about. We don't talk about like, man, I hope that God brings me to my capacity of suffering and just about the time I tell him, I can't do this anymore, I can't take it anymore, he says, uh-huh, and then increases it. Boy, if I just, mm. that's what I'm really holding out for. That's what I pray for every day. God, if you could just take what's left and just demolish that, we're saying when we've been there 10,000 years and, and the, the capacity of who God is, I believe that the capacity of who God is is that after 10,000 years, we have this moment of like, it just can't get better. And yet God is new every single day, that there is a God that's available to you every single day that could be better yes, tomorrow than he is yesterday. And I also believe that sometimes because we live in this world, we travel through seasons of suffering or loss. What about this? When you lose something that you can never get back. No one plans for this. And so because no one plans for it, then when you see someone who's going through unimaginable loss or gut-wrenching suffering, we have this thing that we do because that's not part of our plan. We want to think that we have the capacity or we have the agency to avoid those seasons. And so when we see someone homeless, when we see someone in addiction and suffering, we have this thing that we do uh, where we know that we're supposed to feel sorry for them and we're supposed to love on them because we go to church. But we don't feel connected to it. We feel sorry for it. We don't feel connected to it because we want to believe that our decisions won't lead us to that season. We see someone suffering and we go, well, we'd like to believe that you had the choice to avoid that and something that you did wrong, I'll do right. And so I don't feel personally connected to your suffering because I don't have a plan for it. If you talk to any person who has ever emerged out of life different, I have this, I have this gut sick suspicion that people don't change. 
And if you're thinking, this is church, that's kind of our main thing. I don't think people change, I think people die. I think people die and when they die, something else takes its place. But I don't think people change. I don't think that you have the potential or the capacity to change. And I know this is probably not the most encouraging thing for you to hear right now, but you're not gonna change. You're never gonna change. You might die and come out something different. You might go in a caterpillar and come out a butterfly. You might carry the same DNA, but you're not gonna change. And if you're gonna go through that season where you emerge something different, it's gonna travel through seasons of unimaginable loss and gut-wrenching suffering that you wouldn't choose and that you would opt out of. Is everybody excited you came to church today? First Samuel chapter one, verse two, it says, Elkanah had two wives. I know you've heard this story, stick with me. Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of the heaven, Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priest of the Lord at the time had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Penina, who had children, and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina, the wife with the children, would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Over and over and over again, year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Men, pipe down for a second. We'll talk to the wives. Does it ever make you feel better when you hear somebody say something, you're like, oh, it's not just my husband. This has been going on for a long time. Verse eight, Elkanah, the husband who took on a secondary wife so that he could have children, a wife that would make fun of Hannah. Hannah was barren. She's heartbroken. The temple represents pain and suffering and every year she had to be reminded that she was barren and God had given her no children. If you've never known anybody that went through infertility, it's gut-wrenching. It's a terrible process and every year she had to come back and be reminded her, the new wife, the new wife that had kids would make fun of her and taunt her and Elkanah goes, I know it'll help. Ready? Verse eight. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be so downhearted just because you have no children? Ready for this? Men, men, women, see he, and I quote, this is straight out of the word, you have me. <laughs> Babe, you hit the jackpot. <laughs> Take it all in. And I quote, isn't that better than having 10 sons? <laughs> Be honest, wives, is there a little moment of like, okay, Okay, I'm not alone. <laughs> this jack wagon marries a second wife, which is not common amongst commoners. The only reason he took a second wife is because she was barren, rude. And then she's making fun of Hannah, downtrodden, destroyed, distraught, just year after year after year, crushing and suffering. And her idiot husband is like, what? <laughs> Verse nine. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray even harder. Eli the priest was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly, and she prayed to the Lord. She goes, you gave me an idiot. <laughs> this is what she said. She made a vow. Before we get to that, let me, just, let me just cut just for a second. She's about to make a promise to God. 
let me cut to this and say this. Uh, biology did not play fair when it came to children with women. It just didn't. Um, I'm from Oregon, and so we don't say that women have children anymore. We say birthing persons because I figured you guys would like that. Biology didn't play fair when you think about the pain and anguish that's involved in not only carrying a child to full term, but then the process of birthing and raising and nurturing. It's not a fair process. It's just not. There's no two ways about it. It's not a fair thing. Uh, my daughter was born on November 10th, 2011, and I had the audacity, my elk in a moment, to suggest to Lacey, I'm like, you know, if you would just wait one day, <laughs> one day we could be 11, 11, 11. And if I tried to describe the rage on her sweet, chubby, pregnant face, <laughs> I knew instantly that we were going to have a baby on 11, 10, 11. There was no moment where I felt like she was going for it. Didn't play fair. It's not fair at all. And yet moms are one of the best examples of what it means to love someone so unconditionally. When you see a mother's love, it is just, it, it defies logic. John 16, 21 says it this way. It says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. What's it saying there? What it's saying is this, is that if we had a better relationship to suffering, if we had a more healthy understanding to loss, if we especially as people who, who followed the word, if we had a better understanding and a better relationship to suffering, then what would happen is we would get through it better if we had a better why. I, I've heard it said that he who has a clear why can endure any how, right? If we know why we're suffering, if we know what we're going through, and what John is describing here is that we go through suffering, but the hope is that new life will be produced, right? That's what we're going for, that we want new life to be produced so that in the moment of suffering, we're looking forward to something better so that we're not just suffering for no reason, we're not just suffering for no purpose, that we never lose anything that isn't to a greater benefit, okay? So we need to have a better understanding of what suffering is. We need a healthier relationship to it. Dostoevsky said it this way. He said, it's the greatest mystery of human life that old grief passes gradually into quiet, tender joy. This is not a new concept. This has been around a long time. Suffering begins to pass at the coming of new life. So when I say that we don't have a healthy relationship to suffering, it's like we don't plan for it. We never expect it. When it comes out of nowhere, we're like, what did I do wrong? And yet it's suffering that produces new life. If we say we want new life, we want new circumstances, we want our life to look different, we want to emerge as something better, we want the butterfly season of life, we don't want to remain a caterpillar, we also have to have a healthy understanding of the process that takes place. Commoners didn't have multiple wives and Elkanah was a commoner. So what that means is that her suffering had been increased by not having a child. Her suffering had been increased by taking on the second wife and uh, the second wife was kind of a rip, right? I mean, that's... That's a word we usually reserve for cows, but she was a rip. And it's not even just really a mom story. It's kind of a person story. We're going to look at Hannah and the process she went through as a mom, but I think, I think it's more than that. What we know, because we get to read ahead in the story, what we know is that Hannah would go on to be the mom, the soil, the, the soil that her child would grow out of, and the child would become Samuel, which is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Samuel is one of the greatest characters in the entire Bible. He went on to be a prophet, a judge. He was the one that installed Saul. He was the one that installed David. He was this 
remarkable figure on behalf of God's voice to the people. So that's what potential was housed in the building of Hannah. Samuel existed in Hannah's body. I'm like Hannah, I think. I, I feel like I connect to the story of Hannah when I feel the crushing, but I can't see the potential. When I feel like I'm being crushed, but I don't understand why. I feel like I'm going through a season of loss or things are dying or things are breaking. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a season of breaking in my life right now. And if I can't see the potential, then I feel more crushed. I remember, I, I know I've had these conversations with God. I'm like, God, if you're not gonna do something with all of this angst that I feel, could you just take it away? Could you just let me settle into being okay with where I'm at? And God won't. God would not let Hannah off the hook. And I think sometimes that we get so frustrated with life and God's like, no, I'm not gonna take that away. I'm not gonna take that suffering away because you need to sit with it. You need to have a relationship with this suffering because it's doing a work in you. I'm going somewhere. I'm doing something. Stick with me and it involves suffering. John 12, 24 says this. It says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and, anybody? Dies. This is a big part. This is a big, this is a big pivotal moment in where we're going this morning. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I think sometimes we're okay with being sick. We're okay with not feeling good. We're things are not going very good. But when it starts to like smell like death, then we seize up and we start praying that God will help heal our little seed, like put our little seed back together. Our kernel of wheat, oh God, it's gonna break open. Just fix it, make it better. So because we don't have a relationship with suffering, we don't ever really consider the potential that it can produce. And because we lose sight of the potential of what our lives could hold, because Hannah could not let go of this, whatever was going on in her life, she was experiencing the suffering, why? Because she was experiencing a death. Hannah was experiencing a death. And I think sometimes we get ready to experience a death and we try to hold on to what was old. When something dies, you can walk away from it. Anybody seen Lonesome Dove? Best thing you can do with death is ride off from it. I think we've all negotiated with God. I know that we have. Everybody that's ever had a relationship or a concept with God will negotiate with God and will say things like, if you will, let me win the lottery. I will tithe like 11%. Your house in Montgomery is cool, but God, think about. C.S. Lewis said, if God had granted all my silly prayers that I'd prayed in my life, where would I be now? I would still be a kernel of wheat. I would still be in seed form because every prayer that I prayed had to do with alleviating my suffering. That's all we pray for. That's all we pray for in our immaturity is God just make it stop hurting so much. Save the thing that I'm trying to hold on to. Fulfill the dream that I can't stop dreaming. Give me the things I'm asking for. If you will, then I will. And we remain in our seed form, in our kernel form because about the time it starts to break open, we salvage it and hang on to it. Why? Because we don't understand the life that's produced in death. I tell you what would help me even, I mean, just this much. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. I know that you guys are already like smelling hot dogs. But when you just give me the. No hate. All my requests to God 
deal with alleviating suffering. And maybe Hannah is negotiating with God a little bit. In fairness, maybe she is. Maybe she's just so broken. She's so destitute. She's so at the end of her rope. Elkanah is such a moron. She's just, I can't do this anymore. Maybe she's negotiating with God. But here's what I would suggest. The crushing that Hannah is experiencing in her infertility, she's not experiencing the crushing from outside factors. Her husband is not crushing her. Her barrenness is not crushing her. Panina and her kids that remained unnamed, by the way. Those were all factors that she could see, but I'm gonna say that the crushing was actually taking place from the inside out. It wasn't external crushing in on her. It was something that was happening on the inside that was breaking apart and trying to get out and she was misunderstanding the process. I think sometimes God's trying to break something out of you. He's trying to show you potential that you don't see, that he's trying to turn you into something new. He's trying to bring you into a new season of life and we're so preoccupied with preserving the old that we never experience the new. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and fully dies, it never gets to be a productive contributor of bigger life. Maybe Hannah is negotiating, but I don't think that's what did it. Let's go back to verse 10. It was, it was, listen, it was the suffering that was the catalyst. Her suffering was the catalyst for the acceptance of death. When she accepted the death of an old dream, stick with me. Verse 10, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord and she made this vow. Ready? Here it is. This is what we've been waiting for. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. It's a Nazarite vow. I don't think she was making a deal with God, but if she was, that's not what worked. It wasn't her negotiation with God. You know how I know that? Because God doesn't need anything you have. <laughs> if God wanted to build a new building for his people, what do you, he doesn't need you to win the lottery. He doesn't need, he doesn't need your negotiating. Keep in mind, Samuel's gonna be one of the greatest stories to emerge in the, in the entire cover to cover of the Bible. And Hannah was gonna be the soil that that grew out of. And I'm gonna tell you, sometimes the fertility of the soil is a really important detail for the story that happens later. There's no symbol that's missed. There's nothing about it that's overlooked. There's no small detail that doesn't matter. And it was said this, it said year after year after year after year, she begged God, please give me a child. Please give me a child. Please give me a child. She looked at Panina. Panina gets to raise her kids and interact and they do that laugh thing and they watch movies and they make fun of Elkanah and they do all these mommy baby things. And you know that Hannah looked at that and just longed for that. If I would have just had that, if I could have just had that in my own life, my life would be somehow different. My life would be somehow better. I wouldn't have to deal with her. But that was year after year. This particular year, something changed. So what was it? The catalyst that brings Samuel into the world was this, is that she promised to take the hardest part of being a mom seriously. It's a vow that didn't happen in a microwave. It didn't happen in a moment. It didn't happen because she stubbed her toe and made a promise. It was year after year after year. It was baked in until she became something different, until she became someone who could make a promise to do something that was unimaginably hard. Let me explain. Her internal dialogue had not turned her against God. And listen, you're gonna go through seasons of suffering. That's okay. You're gonna have moments where, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. That's not what I'm talking about. Her internal dialogue, the conversation she had with herself had not let her believe that God was against her. She still believed that God was good. She still believed that God was for her. She still believed that, that God could be trusted. And so proof of that is what she says on the outside was indicative of what was happening on her insides. 
Sometimes you can feel like that God is your only hope. I, I, I feel like maybe you can be resentful of God and still believe that God is still your only hope. If we can't be honest enough to get to that point, life's gonna be a very confusing place. There have been times I've been deeply resentful of God's process and not understood it, and at the same time believe that he was the only one that could make it any better. Feels like a contradiction. If you find yourself there, take a deep breath. I think, it's, I think that's normal. So what activated the story of Samuel? Listen to this. Here's where it all changed. Here's where everything in Hannah's story changed. It says, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, I will give him back. Don't you think that in the story of Hannah, she had a moment where she thought one baby would have solved all of this? If I could have just had one son, none of this would happen. I would have been okay. My life would have been complete. I would have been a mom, could have been a wife. What God knows is this. Hannah could have easily said, couldn't one baby have saved me from all these years of suffering and mockery and grief and doubt and heartache? But here's what God sees. God sees that we have this tendency to take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. I think the church has done a really good job of explaining why we don't do bad things. We have lists. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't hang out those establishments. Mm-mm-mm. But I'm not sure we've done quite as good a job of talking about holding on to good things too tightly. Anybody ever had kids? You want to hold a little baby bunny and it's a cute little baby bunny and your kid is just so excited. What's the first thing you tell an excited little kid when he's going to hold a baby bunny? Don't squeeze it too tight. Don't love it too much. Because when you love it too much, what happens? You need a new bunny. (laughs) And God knows that we have these things and we won't hold on to everything too tightly, but sometimes we'll hold on to good things too tightly. Sometimes we'll cling to something so tight that we just suck the life out of it and we kill it and something that was good becomes something that's bondage. I know you've heard this story. I apologize. I know you've heard it a thousand times and it just fits. There's a place in South America where they catch monkeys by taking a box and cutting a little hole in it. I know you've heard it, but the little monkey, he can stick his hand in the box and grab a mango or a fruit of some sort and he can get a hold of it. But once he's got a hold of it, he can't get his hand back out because it won't fit out of the hole and he will stay there stuck until he's captured. And I think sometimes God is saying this, this isn't because it's a sacrifice, this because it's freedom. Because if God loves you, he's not gonna contribute to your bondage, is he? He's not gonna contribute to you being a slave to something. Until you're willing to live freely in it, he can't let you have it. Because we make good things into ultimate things. If you're writing down Notes, maybe write this down, and I don't like quippy one-liners. I try to avoid them, but I think this is something worth remembering is that anything that we hold to too tightly has a hold on us. Hannah says, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back. God says, I need a Samuel, but he's got to come out of the right soil. He's got to come out of a soil of this. He can't come out of a soil of this. I wonder sometimes if the potential that's crushing you is not coming from the outside, but that it's coming from the inside. Listen, listen, uh, there's, a, there's a painter and his name is Claude Monet. And if you look at a Monet painting up close, it looks like just splotches of junk and garbage and it's just, ugh. And then you back away from it, it becomes a painting. I think the miracles that God's doing in your life don't happen in a moment. It happens in a lifetime. 
And that's going to include seasons of suffering and pain and rough and things have got to die and you've got to let go and you've got to surrender because sometimes God's not interested in building your persona. He's interested in promoting your identity because your identity says, I was wheat when I was a kernel and I'm a wheat when I'm a star. I'm not giving up my identity, but sometimes I have to give up my shape. I have to surrender my imagined self because the way I imagine myself is not the true self that God created. Listen to this. This is it. This is it. This is it. This is it. I don't have time. I see what you're saying. First time God speaks to Samuel, he's in the temple. He's in the temple. Samuel, Samuel, he goes to Eli. Remember the priest, Eli? He goes to Eli. What? I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. Comes back. What? Nothing. Comes back. God says, Samuel, Samuel. It only happens eight times in the whole Bible where God repeats a name and there's value and there's meaning. It means I'm doing a new thing. When God says, Samuel, Samuel, it's indicative that there's a new sprout coming to life. A colonel has died. And he said, I am going to remove my priest Eli because he failed to restrain his kids. He loved his kids more than he loved me. And he held on too tightly and there's nothing but death as a result. There's nothing worse than a kid who never got turned loose to go live his life by his parents. Moms, if you wanna kill your children, hold them too tightly. The suffering and the breaking and the brokenness and the death, the death when Hannah goes, I'll give up my dream of being a mom. I will give him back. Let me be a part of a process. Let me tell a story that's bigger than my own desires. Let me be a part of a story that's bigger than just my own desires because that's more worth it than me living out a persona of what I had imagined. And God goes, that's the, that's the soil of Samuel. Samuel's gonna grow into this beanstalk of freedom and life and godliness. And I've got to replace the old, broken, clinging too tightly. And the story of Samuel grew out of the soil of someone who crushed and died and became something full of life and that didn't hold on too tightly. The crushing that you're experiencing, probably, probably, if you love Jesus, if you're giving him a chance in your life, if you're following him, the crushing that you're experiencing in your life is not coming from the outside. It's coming from the potential and you're breaking apart from the inside out. And I would say this, let it happen. There. It hurts less in this position. It's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt. This hurts worse, this hurts less. Lord, I pray that you would take the story of Hannah and Samuel, help us to see the areas where we're trying to turn good things into ultimate things. God, break us apart let the kernel of wheat die because we maintain our identity. We still get to be who you created us to be, but God, break us of our persona, our imagined self that's messing us up. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't believe that the prophet Samuel would have been the prophet Samuel had it not been for the suffering of Hannah. I think part of Samuel's success was when his mama would come back to the temple and talk to him. He said, do you remember when I was, before you were ever born, I went through some hard times and Samuel's like, hey, I got so many problems. This nation's dying and there's so much sin in this nation. And uh, his mama is like, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to hurt. 
I know what it's like to have pain. I know what it's like not to get what I pray for. I know what it's like not to get what I want when I want it. But Samuel, there is a God that loves you and loves me. And he said he'd never leave me, he'd never forsake me, he'd walk with me, and that in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. I would like to say that I understand everything about God, but God's ways are so much higher than my ways. There's so many things I don't understand But I've learned, and I know I'm an old guy, but I've learned to be content with not knowing everything, but knowing the one who knows everything and embracing this thing called faith. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, as we allow these words to marinate in our hearts and our minds and our bodies, oh God, that you would help us to understand you better and to understand that, that you make all things beautiful. Because it would, in order for that to happen, something has to die. In order for there to be life, things have to die inside of us. I thank you, Lord, that you do make all things beautiful in your time. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. The Bible says this. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. I can't. I wish I could tell you how many times I've messed up in my life and I'm not proud of it. But I'm so grateful for God. I'm so grateful for the gift of life that he gives and that he didn't give up on me when many times throughout life when I've had times that troubled times I didn't really know what to do. I knew that God was still there. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal savior, or maybe if you have and you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, preacher, I need Jesus in my life. I need God's word and I need his life in me. And I I need to know that that he is my savior, my personal savior. Slip your hand up high. We want to put a Bible in your hand. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my heart. Need to make him the Lord of my life. Slip your hand up high. Anybody? Preacher, that's me. Yep, leave your hand up until we get a Bible in it, please. Thank you so much. So proud for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. It's an individual decision, something, a decision we make as individuals, not something your mom or your daddy makes for you. It's it's you. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. Anybody? If you raise your hand, would you mind looking up at me? Back in the back, would you mind coming up and let me pray with you? I'd be honored. Come on up and let me pray with you. If you don't mind, love to have you. Come on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, I'm so proud for you. Bless your heart. (laughs) 
One of the greatest gifts that God gave Hannah was the gift of a son. One of the greatest gifts that he gave us is the gift that God gave us is the gift of his son so that we could have eternal life. Tell me your name. Laura Marshall. Laura, bless your heart. I'm so proud for you. Can I pray with you? Yes, sir. Let's just pray together. Just repeat after me. Y'all help us pray. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible, to pray, show up for church, and get baptized. I love you, Jesus. Teach me to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Laura, I'm so happy that you're part of our family, the family of God. And uh, don't look back. <laughs> you always look forward because your best, your best days are ahead of you. Yes. I love you. Bless you so much. Love you. <laughs> Good day. Look here. Go visit with this lady over here for just a second, if you don't mind. Can I say one thing? Yeah. I was on the way to the barn, and I forgot about church. And I vacillated, and I made a Yui, and I came here dressed to go to the barn. So, <laughs> good job. Well, I'm going to tell you something you already know. Said man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside, and you did the right thing for the inside. <laughs> I think so. Thank, Thank you. you. I love you. Thank you so much. You did the right thing. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I smell something. I smell victory. Amen. I smell victory. Thank you all for coming. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is. It's interesting, this concept of having an open hand. Anybody, anybody get convicted that you need to let go of something? Raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Let's everybody raise your hand and surrender to God. Lord, everything we have, everything we hope to be, we surrender to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, oh God, to open up our hands and, and uh, to have the freedom, oh God, of giving it all to you and being at peace with that. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would uh, help us to help us to appreciate the freedom that our service men and women uh, served for, so we could have freedom, but not just physical freedom, but spiritual freedom. Oh God, I speak a spiritual freedom to this building today, and everybody watching online. I speak a spiritual freedom to our nation. I speak a spiritual freedom to our world. And oh God, I pray, oh God, that you would just rain down freedom and rain down your word in us, oh God, and help us to understand the power.
power of serving you, oh God, and the power that you have in us and through us, oh God. I pray that you just raise the church up in our nation and in our schools, oh God, in our business, oh God. Make, a, make us willing vessels of honor for you today, and we thank you for it. We give you honor. We give you praise in Jesus' name, and the church said Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. We love you. Come back next week. We got our prayer team up here. If you need special prayer, love to have you.